Welcome to El Cafecito with Carla. Hi everyone, this is Carla, your host. I am so glad you're here. I know it's been a very long time since I've been here and since you've been here. <laughs> I am so excited to be back. It's been a wild few months and so I finally have the capacity to start recording again. I wanted to start out as an ending, actually. I wanted to end officially the first season of El Cafecito. And I got to record this episode a few months ago with one of my best friends, Rose J. Percy. If you don't know her, you're going to love her. Just give me like two seconds. Uh, but I, um, I wanted to honor this conversation because it is one of my favorites and I am so thankful um, that we got to have it. So without further ado, here we go. Um, hi, everyone. I am so happy you are here today with us. I have one of my favorite people on the planet on with me today. Her name is Rose J. Percy, and I am going to read you a couple of bios for her. Her short bio is just a soft black woman learning to land gently. And then her longer bio is that she was born in Haiti and grew up in Rhode Island. She spent the last seven years in Massachusetts for higher education and is currently in the last semester of her Masters of Divinity program at Boston University School of Theology. She lives in Quincy, Massachusetts with housemates and their dogs and a plethora of books and plans. She is an educator, a writer, a poet. She is a musician and she also does calligraphy, which I love because I love writing and words. And so here we are. I am here with Rose. Hi, Rose. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey Carla <laughs> how are you doing today doing all right just happy to be here with you I'm so it's, happy yeah. to be here with you <laughs> podcast people can't see our faces but like it should be illegal for people to be this happy you know what I'm saying like we yeah. just so much joy <laughs> absolutely <laughs> <laughs> okay so one you are brilliant. I mean, just your bio alone, come on. But also because I know you and I know that you are brilliant. <laughs> so you. I would love to hear a little bit of your story and how you got here and all the things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like we were just talking a bit about like that's the reason why I have those two bios because like when I read the longer bio, I get tired. <laughs> I'm like, that girl needs a nap. Somebody <laughs> quick, get her a cot and a pillow. <laughs> She's tired. <laughs> and like, <laughs> it's a lot. And I think there's like, we were saying like how I have skills, like there are skills that I have. And I think like, we could talk about the skills, like, you know, for example, like running, and be like excited that the person is running, but like, what if they learn how to run because they're being chased by fire, people carrying fire and torches after them. We mm -hmm. gotta talk about that. Um, and so there are some ways in which like, a lot of my education, um, especially in college and right now with my master's of divinity program is all shaped around just trying to run from oppressive mm -hmm. forces and trying to learn and trying to like understand who I am in the world and like yeah and like how to live <laughs> and how to live well and and survive or to get to a place where I could think about you know what what exists beyond survival yeah um, mm -hmm. I think that like runs deep at the heart of my Haitian identity I think being Haitian there's a way in which like my immigrant experience in the U.S has been shaped by survival, like my, my family, um, the way that I grew up in this kind of like community that was trying so hard to like preserve um, our culture, preserve our expression of Christianity in the midst of like, you know, being like, oh, wow, we're in America. Christianity is different here. <laughs> ah. Yeah, my parents weren't trying to explain it to me when I was a kid. And I think like part of studying theology is like me um, doing the work of understanding um, in a space where like I can actually ask questions so yeah, yeah there's a lot there and 
Um, yeah, in terms of defining like what those fires are that I'm running from, hmm, we have we have sexism, we have <clears throat> we have racism, we have xenophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of things. We have ableism because in some ways I'm exploring some of the ways in which like I um, some of my like invisible disabilities that I don't really talk about much because like I feel like I'm still learning like what all that means and like how that affects how I show up and also how that affects my ability to advocate name you know the environments I need to flourish in certain spaces without that also taking away from what it means for me to be like successful in the world or Mm -hmm. to just even dismantle what being successful means um but that was a lot so I'm gonna pause right here (laughs) Just <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. I um I loved um that idea of you know people are always congratulating the person who can run really fast, but no one has asked why they can run really fast, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. um I love how in your email you said, I'm trying to describe what I like doing and not what oppression has shaped me to do well. Mm-hmm. And um, I just wonder how many times, you know, we are stuck in that survival mode of like, if I do this well, I will survive. And I think of, of course, cause it's me. <laughs> I <think> of Jesus. <laughs> yes, we, um, lo- we love him. <laughs> Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> um, yeah, like how Jesus came to live, you know, and not just survive. And I just would love to hear how you have um, connected, even as you start asking questions, right? Um, and even in the context of like American Christianity and how that is so different to what you knew before. And what does that look like now? Ooh, that's such a good, as you were saying that, I was thinking of that verse, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I'm like, I want that. Like, where did we get away from, from emphasizing mm-hmm. abundant life as part of what it means to be a Christian and like, Earlier this year, I made this declaration to myself that I would let go of suffering as a necessary companion. Like necessary meaning that like if I'm in in an experience of trying to figure out what it is is I'm called to do um, and like the question comes up of like, am I comfortable? I don't have to immediately be like, oh my gosh, no, this doesn't make sense because I have to be profoundly discomfort, like uncomfortable for me to feel like this is giving me purpose. <laughs> and I realized like how much of me was chasing like that feeling of like needing to struggle to feel like this is the right way to do something. Um, yeah, and like I realized one, I think a lot of like me finally getting to the point of realizing that like I need to be thinking about joy and enjoyment and desire as part of my expression of faith and vocation and all this, all, all these other things it has to do with the fact that like my body said, no, <laughs> it was really? like, yeah, it's, my body just said no. And it has said no very loudly in a lot of ways. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I've just been trying to listen to that and be like, if my body is telling me, that I'm going too fast, then I need to slow down. And if the systems around me are telling me that me slowing down is not good for them, the message implied is that my body does not matter to these systems. And yet, why am I defining myself by trying to like, or my my goals in life by trying to um, be part of these systems if all they're really trying to do is kill me? Yes. To crank out some ideas and some papers and some books and some whatevers that they need to continue their own survival. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, thinking about Jesus, like taking a nap on a boat in the middle of a storm. 
I love that passage so much. And like, in a lot of ways, I find myself being like, maybe it's like a, maybe it's a, I think it's probably a trauma response in some ways, but like, whenever things get overwhelming and there's a lot for me to do and I don't know where to start, I get overwhelmed. I email everybody and be like, I'm sorry, I can't make this deadline. And then I go take a nap. <laughs> yeah. I'm like if I'm, I'd rather start from like a, a place where like my mind is refreshed, my body is refreshed mm -hmm. than to start from a place of being frazzled and all over the place. And like one of the things that has helped me like through that is realizing like one, sometimes taking a nap is like a test. Cause you're like, I'm just gonna lay down for 30 minutes. And then you wake up four hours later and be like, uh-oh. Yeah, yep. Because <laughs> it, really, like, it really shows you like how disconnected we are from like what we think we need and want and how like mm. sometimes like how abstract certain desires are from like what is possible in like the tangible real world. And, and me being able to be like, okay, maybe I'm just going to schedule one activity for the day that I know is like strenuous work and that's enough and moving on so so my goal in life is to be like Jesus like one in that like you know having life abundance but also being able to take naps in the middle of the storm yes <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah yep what's your spiritual practice napping yeah, it's my spiritual practice. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so funny. My dad takes a nap every single day, and he is the healthiest man I know. I have never, I mean, I remember eating as a kid. My dad always took a nap, even if it's like five minutes, 10 minutes. He's just like, I just need to take a nap. And I'm like, awesome. I want to live that life, man. <laughs> That's you know? awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I did I did not grow up with like a healthy culture around rest. Cause like every I mean, for me, going to school as a kid was work. Like I remember being like, it felt like a nine to five, like yeah. as an introvert. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. And then like <laughs> And then, well, I had to learn, I had to be in ESL in kindergarten mm -hmm. and I think a little bit of first grade. So it was like, here I am, I'm going to a place I don't know the language and all the kids are mean and I got to be here for eight hours. I come home and I'm exhausted <laughs> yeah. Yeah. every day. And then like, I don't know, from, from the time I was like a toddler, like I've always, I've always been like, I've been on my, at least my family has like worked really hard to train me to be the perfect housewife. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Let's be honest. And so it was like every Saturday, wake up, clean, wake up, mm -hmm. fix the house. Yeah. So there was never a, like vacations were like, okay, now we have time for deep cleaning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well, vacations. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's so real. Yeah. So, so for me, like, even now, like when I see like at the end of a semester, like I have to work to be like, I have to like, intentionally tell myself, like, take a break. You don't need to start planning next semester right now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. And I think, you know, even like in my experience, um, I was thinking like, I don't remember the last time my family and I went on a family vacation, you know? Um, and so I'm always like, kind of like picking at it, you know, like, so when are we going? When are we going somewhere? When are we going somewhere? <laughs> you know, but I generally, and, and I understand like they're like a big part of surviving in this country is like that idea of the hustle, you know? Yeah. And I just wonder like how much, we have internalized that for ourselves. <laughs> mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh yeah. It's in there. It's, I'm, I'm constantly working against it and reminding myself this might be a little bit mean and I still haven't found like my, you know, cause like the Bible's like, 
honor your mother and your father, you know, all that other stuff. And I'm like, great, I can, I can do that, I think. And, yeah. <laughs> and of course, like you add on the layer of like immigrant child is like, not just honor your mother and your father spiritually, but honor their hopes and dreams for coming to America on yep. top of it. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know what? That's another layer, which I recently started thinking about. The fact that we are also immigrants. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that like, I seriously, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to process that. <laughs> yeah. I am a child of immigrants and I am an immigrant. Oh yeah. And I think, um, like, I don't know. I, I write a lot about this like concept of losing my accent and like what that means, like as a metaphor for life. But quite literally, like people forget that I'm an immigrant because my mm-hmm. my accent, there's no there's no trace of Haitian accent left in my voice. I worked really hard mm-hmm. <laughs> early on to to get that to get that out of my my voice. But um <clears throat> Like we have the experience of like our culture um, at home and then another experience of American culture at school or in our workplaces and all of that stuff. And I just remember just like, it was a lot of work, I think. I like we're working hard constantly to like hold together these two, like mm-hmm. two plus maybe three worlds sometimes. And getting to this place of feeling like you're never fully going to fit in in any one of them and being like, that's okay. That's where I'm at right now. I'm at this place of just like, it's okay for me to be all of who I am in this tension and this like in the middle um, and to not let either side of like this identity, Haitian or American, um, like silence or remove my voice from like, or like remove my full ownership from these spaces. Like, even if they won't give me the paper that says you're a citizen, <laughs> mm-hmm. I've grown up here. <laughs> I got the culture in me. I went to those schools. You can't tell me I'm not American. <laughs> I'm more American than some of your American kids. Are you kidding me? I know what the constitution says. Yeah. <laughs> I took them history classes. <laughs> I pay my time. Joke that we would pass the citizenship test like nothing. <laughs> yes, yes. I have I have that coming up like not soon, but like soon soon-ish. I gotta get mm-hmm. that done. But like ugh, it's just those are just technicalities at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. It's real. It's real. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh man. Um, so I would love to hear of how you ended up at seminary. (laughs) 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 Because that's a big thing. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Oh my goodness. Yes. It comes down to I guess the question of like, okay, like in meaning what I said when I sent that bio for like wanting to define myself by the things I love, like now as I'm reclaiming the things I love and like what I love about being in seminary, it's, it all started with wanting to study the Bible, wanting to have an authentic grasp of my own faith and wanting to like, and loving exploring like all these ethical questions and like all these philosophical questions and so I was like, I want to go to seminary because I belong there. <laughs> like I just knew this. Um, I've known since I was like 18 that I wanted to go to seminary. Mm-hmm. And like that was before I knew that you had to go to college first. <laughs> <laughs> like I went on this trip. I visited a seminary. I was like, okay, great. Where can I apply? And they're like, okay, you should I transfer your um your college transcripts to us and I was like wait what I gotta go to college <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah it all started like when I was 18 so I've always loved it um but yeah so I had so I went to a Christian a private Christian college for my undergrad and I remember thinking like 
you know, I'm going to study whatever I want here because I'm just going to go to seminary afterwards. So mm-hmm. like, I didn't feel a need to like enroll in any like religion classes or anything like that, at least outside of our um, general courses. Mm-hmm. Um, so I entered college as a music education major because mm-hmm. I was like, great, I love music. I can teach these kids. I can make some money. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I quickly learned that like, oh, they only want to teach us like old European you know, music, oh. like this isn't, oh. <laughs> they had me singing Handel's, Handel's Messiah at Christmas. I don't know if you know what that is, yeah. but yeah. yeah. And I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> um, so like during my first semester, I was like, I'm, I love playing these instruments, but I keep thinking about what the Bible says. I keep wanting to write poems. Oh, I forgot to mention. There was a brief period, very brief, just like a blimp, not even like, it was like two, three years, maybe four, that I was like a spoken word artist. (gasps) (laughs) Before college. It was like, it was, you know, it was just kind of a little thing I did. (laughs) All right, all right. We're going to rewind. Okay. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes I just spoken word and <laughs> it was like it wasn't like so it I mean at that time the way that the faith that I feel like I was shaped by and that shaped those poems is very different from where I am now mm-hmm. but like what remains true is like I loved the bible I was going into scripture I was putting scripture in everything. Mm -hmm. So my poems were very, very scriptural to the point where people kept saying like, you're going to, you're going to be a pastor. Like you're going to, you're going to go to seminary. You're like, wow, you have like a better grasp of this than like some seminarians I know. And I was like, oh, thanks, I guess. Like, so people just were seeing that for me um, at that time. So after my first semester, um, I was like having a conversation towards the end of the semester with a friend. And I said, like, man, I should be a religion major. And then, like, I said it so quietly. And she was like, what'd you say, Rose? <laughs> I was like, nothing, nothing, I had nothing at all. <laughs> She's like, I heard what you said. <laughs> you want to be, come on, Rose, that's the voice of God talking to you. The voice like, of God. Like, okay, okay, I'm going to be obedient. So, like, I changed my major. <sighs> yeah, and... Yeah, I started, started as a religion major the next semester. And like the first semester was fine. Like so a few, a few like mind blowing things happened in some of my classes. Like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Um, but that summer was the summer um, where like Sandra Bland was stopped and at the traffic light and was killed yeah. where the mother Manuel Baptist church shooting happened. Yeah. I was reading James Cone all at the same mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it was like, Oh my gosh, I have questions. I have questions about like Christianity. I have questions about this country, my identity, everything. Um, and so like college, what ended up happening was like, while I was having these questions, and like deconstructing, trying to figure out what I believed, trying to not fail these classes, people were coming to me with like their journeys. A lot of white people were coming to me to ask questions because they're like, Rose, I feel like I can't ask any other black person. And you're like, you know, like, I just feel comfortable telling you, talking to you. And like, what I didn't realize was like, at the time I was in a very like open space where like, it didn't occur to me that like I was experiencing trauma from these conversations. It was just like, Mm. I'm helping my friends. I'm learning. I'm practicing what I know. Um, Mm -hmm. But then like later on, it became very clear. I was like, Oh, wow. I gave a lot of people access to me during a period of time where I should have been receiving the most support. Yes. Yep. And it was rough. Um, Mm -hmm. And I really like, even while I was studying religion, I didn't think I was going to, go into pastoral ministry or anything like that. I was kind of just like, 
the devil's advocate person in class who was always like pushing the teachers to be like, okay, but what if you don't want to be a pastor? How can I use this? <laughs> I was super annoying <laughs> when I think back to it. <laughs> and they should have been thinking that way because like half of my classmates were like, yeah, I think this is interesting and cool, but like, I don't know about the church right now. And like, no one was asking or answering those questions. Um, mm-hmm. So it was very hard to be in that space. So while I was like in my last year, like the existential crisis of like, what am I going to do after this started to sink in? And it was in that year that I went to Ferguson. Um, and like what we, like what we called was like, we called it like a fusion, fusion trip instead of like a missions trip um, mm-hmm. at my college because like the emphasis was on like being educated. And so mm-hmm. we had a week long, uh, experience of like getting to know pastors and activists in the area. This was 2017 for context. So two years um, after Mike Brown was killed. And so like people's stories were still very fresh. And, you know, by then, like the people who were like in the part of the movement to seek attention and to their larger platforms were gone. So it's all local people. And I saw well, one of the interviews that we had was with uh, a black pastor and she was like, she was like, yeah, thank you so much for this interview. Like, I only have a little bit of time. I'm about to go to the state house for a protest. And I was like, you can do that. You can be a pastor and you can care about justice. You can, you can, you can preach and then go to the state house and protest. Like you can be those two things together. And like, I remember like looking at her and being like, oh my gosh, like my world was like opening up. My eyes are opening up. Yeah. And it was, and it was on that trip where I was like, I could see myself as a pastor. I could see it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So fast forward to that trip. I met a pastor who was starting a church plant that emphasized um, justice and community engagement. Mm -hmm. So I joined that and that's a whole other story if you want to get into that. But I would say that that experience was the catalyst for wanting to go to seminary because I was like, mm-hmm. between like seeing an example of what I what I was what I thought I was striving towards, and then like trying to do it in this church plant, there was like this moment of like I need to know more, and I am not qualified enough, and like all of those questions and things made me pursue seminary in a different way. Because yeah. I, I had plans to go to a different seminary before, but um, I think my convictions about justice led me to Boston University because yeah. of its historic commitment to social mm-hmm. justice. So, yeah, that's the story. Um, yeah, so that is incredible, especially um, thinking about the idea of you can be a pastor and care about justice, right? Which also makes me really sad that you know, we've never thought of these things before. Mm. Um, or that maybe not that we haven't thought about these things, but that it just wasn't obvious. Oh, that yeah. You can be a pastor and care about social justice. And they're not opposite of each other, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, like, there are some ways in which that like, it just took for me seeing like a black woman as a pastor for me to be like, that's something that I could do, that I could see myself doing. And like, because of just like how often my experience was questioned at the time by so many people around me, it just felt like, if not for like a few other people, like at the time who like affirmed where I was and the questions I was asking and the like ideas I was forming, everyone else like was just curious and their curiosity mm-hmm. was good, but it's not an affirmation of like yeah. who you are. It's like a, I don't know. It's, it's almost kind of like being like, like, you know, when you're being studied, but not understood. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. So there was a lot of that. Um, and the Ferguson trip was good. Like, I'd say that there were a few people on that trip who, like, had um, similar, like, who were already thinking a lot about justice. Maybe weren't able to, like, express the, like, the faith side of things as much, but um, could understand, like, some of the 
you know, the reasons why, like, I mean, like, this was, like, pre-people, like, really fully, like, understanding what Black Lives Matter was about, like, before, you know, there was a lot of, like, oh, Black Lives Matter? I don't get that. Like, shouldn't it be All Lives Matter? What's going on? Like, there was a lot of that, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Oh, man. So I would love to hear about your journey into recognizing who you are as a soft black woman oh yes <laughs> oh man that journey has really just i feel like it's it's just begun in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and i think it's influenced by a lot of that conversation we we're having earlier about just being exhausted and realizing like my body was saying no and i wasn't listening Um, but like a lot of like what I want to try to do or what I'm trying to do in my work is, um, just like counter those stereotypes. Like people keep saying like the strong black woman. Um, and oftentimes it sounds like a compliment. Like we, we want to praise like the, uh, like once again, we want to praise the runner, but not think about the fire chasing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, and I think like what I'm trying to do is think about like what it means for me to be gentle with myself mm-hmm. um, in a society where like I have to teach others to be gentle with me. Yeah. Um, and I have to like deconstruct like how people are viewing black femininity. Mm. If I need like if I need a shoulder to cry on. <laughs> Yeah, I have to train the person with the shoulder <laughs> sometimes That's to so be like, real. Oh, just so uh, you know, I feel that in my heart. I cry <laughs> just so you know, I have needs just so you know, I'm not just waiting by the phone ready to give you advice. Yeah. I have a life and it's yeah. kind of hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, You only see uh, the parts of me that I have worked very hard to put portray out in public, but you don't know the struggles. Mm-hmm. And to be authentic about those struggles is hard as a black woman because that's a vulnerability that sometimes we cannot risk because people will take advantage of it. So yeah. it's like very complex. Um, yeah. But in terms of um, like, I've just been, just been reading some things like I have uh, and like, I'm taking it slowly through this book, but Too Heavy a Yoke by mm-hmm. Shaniqua Walker Barnes. Oh, I love her. Oh my gosh, I love her. Oh my goodness. Like her softness, like, oh man, like it's, it's, yes, it is a, a model for my life, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And that book, like I've been just handing it to people and being like, well, mm-hmm. not handing it to them. I'm sending them a link because I, they, I think they should buy it. <laughs> <laughs> like I told my therapist, it's like, here, like, you should, we should read this book and then she bought it and she oh uses it <laughs> she'll remind me about like the 12 steps of recovering from the strong black woman uh wow I love I like this it's so cool that she does that yeah. um and I told my pastor because like it's so geared towards like people who care for black women not just mm-hmm. in like a general like oh here's here's this myth and here's what's happening to black women but it's like if you care for black women you're gonna read that book yes yeah. Um, so that is that is the number one thing that I'm reading. Um, but I'm like looking at my collection now because I have like a few other things. I have Peace Amadi's book. Um, Why do I feel like this? Mm-hmm. Haven't studied it yet, but it's on my list. Uh, but her something she said was like a catalyst for me. And this was I don't remember what month it was. I want to say it was like April. Mm-hmm. But we had um, the the check in that that Liberated Together did for Black women. You were there. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> like, we do so many things together that like, I'm just like, wait a minute. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. So we were there together. But she said like, she said like, people keep saying strong Black women, but like, it is not a compliment. And she said, I am a soft Black woman. Like, sure, there are things I've had to endure. Um, but like that I should not have had to go through, but like, I need loads taken off me. Like, and I was just like, Oh my gosh. Yes. 
So like, I kept coming back to that and I was like, I like that. Like I'm a soft black woman. Like, and I'm like, not only is it true because like of the, the situations that like black women navigate generally like through misogynoir, um, but it's true because like, this is who I am. I've been sensitive since I was a child. Like mm-hmm. there's some commercials I couldn't watch cause like they made me cry for the yeah. rest of the day. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Remember like, oh, just so many, so many memories of me just like not being able to handle it. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. Like I'm, I, I'm the rest of this day is, is, is basically uh, gone. Cause I'm going to be crying now. Bye. Yep. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, like being introverted, being highly sensitive person, like all these things I'm learning about myself and being like, wow, like mm-hmm. I am very soft in the world and I've had to be strong for a lot of people Yeah, who I did not, who I, sh- who I should not have had to be strong for mm-hmm. um, because they mistake, they, mis- they mistook my resilience um, and my perseverance for just regular old life skills or regular personality skills when they weren't. It was just survival. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Everybody lean, everybody's leaning on us, but they don't look at the fact that we already being crushed. Like, can you take your hands off me? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think what's been interesting is just like, I thought, and I think like I'm inspired by something you said, uh, I don't remember which meeting because we were in so many meetings together. <laughs> but you said something like, nobody's writing to Afro-Peruvian women. So I write to myself, like something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this, that's, that's basically what I'm doing. Like I write what I write about the soft black woman to myself. And if it makes me feel liberated and good, then I put it out to the world. Because if yeah. I think about who I'm writing to, I'm not going to write anything. <laughs> Number one. Um, But I think it keeps me true to to my message by like thinking like of who I am and the journey I've been on and trying to share those stories. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, is so interesting because I definitely learned that from uh, Toni Morrison. (laughs) Same. Yes. Toni Morrison. And for me also, um, Austin (laughs) Channing Brown being like, my book is for Black women. Yep. Absolutely. You know, I and I, I remember uh, the first time I heard that quote by Toni Morrison of um, if there is a book that you want to read and it hasn't been written, then you must write it yourself. Mm. You know? And I remember thinking like, I have never read a book where I am the audience. I'm always yeah. like big parts of me might be part of the audience, you know? Mm. Like I could read books for black women and say yes. And I can read books for, uh, for people from Latin America and also yes. Right. But then it's never been like, but here is this where you are my tar- target audience, <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. And so, but it is because of, you know, thinking that way of, oh, in a, for a long time, even I used to write with the sense of, if I don't say this to white women or to white men, who's going to tell them? And I had this like pressure on me, you know, to mm-hmm. have the same thing. And then I thought they've never, you know, just like as an umbrella, obviously, because I have very good friends who would, you know, mm-hmm. but um, as an umbrella, like the systems, you know, they would never write to me. They would never think of me, you know, like for them to think of me, I have to push at it, you know? (laughs) Like I think of um, even when it comes to like uh, immigration stuff, right? Like everybody loves to say like, oh, President Obama gave DACA to all the undocumented, you know, students. And it's like, actually, no, it was the organizers and the activists who Mm -hmm. showed up and pretty much like, you know, like forced him to a point where he was like, okay, well, we have to do something. But it wasn't out of the goodness of his heart, you know? And I, that's what I think of when I think of writing, of creating. I'm just no longer, I will create to bring goodness to our communities. Um, and sometimes mm-hmm. that will look like activism, but sometimes it just looks like laughter and joy and yes. our own stories, you know? 
Yes. That is so beautiful. I learned this um, in my Theology of Liberation class. And that was like probably one of my favorite classes at BU, top mm-hmm. five. Um, because like, it was one of the classes that gets you thinking, if someone can write a book about what liberation looks like from their lo- social location, then what if I wrote something about what, liber- what liberation looks like from mine? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really cool to go through that. And like womanist theologies, just being like, we're going to talk about what's unique about the black woman mm-hmm. in our specific, our specific struggles. Um, I think it was a womanist scholar. I think it was Jacqueline Grant who said, like there's something about the vastness of the particular. And like, what I love about that is like, you can feel free to center your subjectivity mm-hmm. um, unapologetically, because when you do that and you're authentic to that, to that story and that center, those who can understand and relate will see the liberation in that and will see like, and will connect to uh, what they need to connect to as part of like, as part of the story and what they don't connect to, it's not for them. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The end. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the end. Yeah. And like, ugh, like, I feel like, you know, as a semin- like a seminary student, like there's so many times where like in a conversation, someone will like say something and it's usually like a white classmate trying to virtue signal and be like, we're talking so much about this community, but what about this? And I'm like, just on some level, yes, like we need to be asking those questions. But on some level, what they do is they miss the fact that like sometimes centering a particular, um, like especially with a different minority group, like and and looking at those stories, like is what helps you connect to like who you are. Like mm-hmm. seeing Issa Rae, <laughs> the awkward black girl, like like yes. just her her rise to stardom was like oh my gosh i can be the awkward black girl the ordinary because i'm not gonna be Issa ray out here in these streets like making shows or whatever but like (laughs) her existence in some way affirmed my like my life and like who i am and i and like for me to be like oh well she's not she's not haitian so you know Mm. i don't really see myself in her story like it's a takeaway from like Mm-hmm. It's it's the, from like her particularity and like how that can contribute to like my liberation. If I choose to choose solidarity, yes. um, choose solidarity um, over the tendency to sometimes want to like to own the center narrative, mm. um, which is a very white supremacist a thing to want to do because it has to be so specifically defined by these particular terms in order for it to be about me and I'm like mm, yeah why is that <laughs> why are you pressed <laughs> yeah but you are so right I yeah. and it's so interesting because for me Issa Rae is a big big person in my life when it comes to arts and creativity um because even watching Insecure and thinking I can be myself you know (laughs) yes like I don't have to pretend for anyone and I don't have to code switch and I can make mistakes whoa (laughs) you know like so many things and of course like Issa Rae and I are not the same you know Mm -hmm. her portrayal of the beauty of the African-American community you know and all she did was say was tell the story of her life and her friends, what yeah. she knew, her particularity, and is connecting yeah. with so many people. Yeah, seriously, I love that so much. Oh my goodness, I feel like well, it's so funny because I want to talk to you forever, but we really do talk forever <laughs> all the time. Um, <laughs> um, so I know, of course, we don't have all the time in the world, but I um, I wanted to read something from your Instagram. Um, <laughs> it just it's just so beautiful. I might have to read a couple, honestly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes, you know, to um, softness, you wrote this. I, what do you call them? You call them Twitter. Oh yeah, my Twitter manifestos. Manifesto. <laughs> I almost said Twitter liturgy because that's what it feels like to me. 
Yeah, there's a little bit, some, some liturgy action and some, some like, I would say like a soft manifesto because I'm not like not about to conquer anything, but I'm just going to make suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I will read it. And um, even for anyone listening, just even to take, you know, a breath and just hear these words, um, because to me, they were very healing mm. um, and just very affirming. So I will read them. It reads... God made me soft. I will not apologize for that. I will not be hardened by the force of things that seek to mold me into an unresponsive statue of a person. The decision to embrace softness is my strength. If you can't see that, consider this. I am still here. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Just to lean into that softness to me has just been incredible. Um, even just from what you, you know, like what you are writing, it just reminds me, it's a reminder for me for the day of, hey, I can be soft today, you know, and it's okay if I need to turn off my phone. It's okay if I need to turn off the news, if I can't listen to another podcast, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay if I don't learn anything in the, you know, in the next hour. <laughs> yes, that part. <laughs> you know, and embrace the softness of that. Maybe I just want to lay on the grass for the next hour and just look at the clouds, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep. and enjoying that softness. And yeah, so I just really, I wanted to share that with everyone because it is, it has um, spoken to me so much. <laughs> mm. Oh, man. <laughs> is there anything else you would like to, um, you know, say or talk about? Well, I guess, you know, like in terms of embracing softness, like, I think I'm going to like somewhat as a, like a joke, but slash serious, like put out a like resume and like the vocation will be like rest and like, here are my credentials. Like, here's how often I take naps. Like, yeah, you know, like, cause like, honestly, um, like that, that works for me. Like I approach the summer with like this sense that I'm like one, I want to rest, but I don't know how I need a syllabus. <laughs> Yeah, I need a, a syllabus. I need teachers. I need like I have a book by Thich Nhat Hanh called How to Relax. So mm-hmm. I'm serious. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I had to reach outside of my Christian tradition to other faith leaders to figure this out. <laughs> yeah, and so, <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm definitely on that journey trying to figure out, like. Yeah, how to just seek softness and tenderness for myself. Yeah. And to and to do that like assertively, which is like the I think that's like the key thing that keeps coming back for me is like mm-hmm. I have to assert that I need softness like very mm-hmm. often, which seems to be like people try to like place softness and, and strongness as like um like this dichotomy or like and I just think that's false because for soft people to still be here is an act of resistance. Yeah. Um, it's an act of like, I have stayed true to myself in ways that allow me to continue to be in the world. And that's what I need people to know mm. that I am not weak. We are not weak yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for choosing to hold ourselves so oh. that we might still be here. So. Yeah. Wow. Ah, yeah. Rose, you are incredible. <laughs> Just what a gift. I generally, I think about this all the time. Like, how did I get to meet some of the most incredible people over quarantine and COVID? You know? No, same. <laughs> Seriously, I guess. But yes. you're definitely one of those people. <laughs> and you are the same for me, friend. <laughs> if people wanted to find you on social media, where should they look? I have a website. Uh, it's rosejpercy.com. Ooh. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at Rose J. Percy. Awesome. Yeah, I love reading your tweets all the time. <laughs> and also because sometimes we are the same person, which, you know. Yes, we, we, like we end up on like a, like a wow, like 
like Carla is literally living my day today. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I'm going to read one more tweet. Um, <laughs> one more Twitter liturgy or manifesto. Um, and we can um, totally close with that. So it reads, you have learned to grow under the shadow of hope. Sweet is the sanctuary you'll never know. Plant it here. Are there ways you may wish to be welcome, but I find that, but find that your roots run too deeply into scrutiny? Understood? No. Understated? Also no. Bloom again as witness. Mm. Beautiful. Just beautiful. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Bloom again. <laughs> yes. oh. Wow. Well, thank you, Rose. Thank you, I love Carla. you. And of course, <laughs> you're welcome here. Always. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> that was incredible, y'all. Everything Rose said is just always like poetry and like a breath of fresh air for me. Um, since the uh, recording of this podcast, actually, Rose has launched her own podcast called Dear Self Black Woman. I actually got to be a guest on it and it was one of my favorites. Um, but yes, if you would like to look her up, she also has a Patreon. If you would like to support her and all the work that she's doing, she is an incredible poet. She's an incredible writer and theologian. And I am so excited that y'all got to listen to her and learn from her because Truly, she is a gift. There will be um, a few more episodes coming soon. I'm so excited. I'm in the process of recording. And I cannot wait to see you all again. Thank you for being here. 